Our Father, we thank you for the truth of this song and for what you mean to each and every person in this room. We praise you that you are alive and that you rose from the dead and that you are our Savior and you have paid for our sins. We pray that you would receive our worship tonight. You are so worthy. And we pray that you would teach us and that you would take charge of this meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the first Psalm, Psalm 1. Now, as you look around you, you can probably see that we have plenty of chairs. Uh, you might wonder, why do we have so many chairs? Well, when we first moved into this facility, uh, we had a lot less than we do right now, a lot less chairs than we do now. But there were so many people, so many new faces that we saw that first Sunday as the pastors met, we thought, well, uh, if we order chairs now, it's going to take quite a while to get them, and maybe by the time we get the chairs, we're going to need them. And uh, it's better to have too many than not enough. And another thing, it tells us how much work we have to do, right? Our job as a church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples, and, you know, the scripture says the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to win people to Christ. The first psalm. Let's read it first. I'll read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, the scriptures tell us that everyone receives at least some blessings from God. The Lord Jesus said that. He said in Matthew 5, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But this psalm tells us that God has very special blessings for those who follow him. I know many of you in this congregation tonight, and I know that you love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Your worship of Jehovah God is unquestioning. So please listen up tonight because there is a special blessedness that God wants to give you, and it's the main idea of this psalm. Psalm 1 opens with one word that describes this special blessing for the believer, and it's the word blessed. This word literally means a state of bliss, of joy, of happiness, of contentment. Some translations, you may have a modern translation that says, Oh, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And that is the meaning, meaning that a person who knows God is a happy person. You know, you can tell a Christian from half a block away. They have the Bible and the grin, right? Uh, so God wants his children to be happy, and it's a special blessing that we have that joy in our hearts. 
In the word blessing, God is talking about the prosperity of the soul, how your soul prospers, and how happiness is deep in your soul. Think about it. We who are parents know that we want happiness and joy for our children. We really are happy when our children are happy. And God certainly wants no less for his children, not only now, but in the world to come. You know, God has said many things in his word about how he wants to bless our souls. In Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, when you think of the songs that the body of Christ has sung over the centuries, and even in the recent past, the hymns that they've sung that talk about the blessedness of the soul, think about them. How about blessed assurance? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. What about some of the songs that the children sing? I remember when our children were small and they went to what the church that I pastored called a good news club. And they learned this song about the happiness of the soul. This is how it goes. Happy, 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 happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And then it's repeated, happy, 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 happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Where does this happy feeling come from? Jesus. Where does this happy feeling come from? Jesus. This happy feeling comes from Jesus. Every day he more than pleases. That's where this happy feeling comes from. And this is what God is saying in the first psalm. He is saying, blessed is the man or the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And then I remember the days of the early days of the Jesus movement. I was a pastor in Southern California, and we ended up at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in the 70s. And they were singing this song, and I remember about the happiness of the soul. This is the song that I love to hear. I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, O well, within my soul. Spring up, O well, and make me whole. Spring up, O well, and give to me that life abundantly. That's the thing that we have in our soul because we belong to God and because he wants us to have that kind of joy. This is the special blessedness that God gives his children. Our text says that there are three things that the blessed believer, the believer that's blessed by God, does not do. So these are three things that the believer does not do. He or she does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you want to enjoy God's blessings? Do you want to be blessed by God? Don't pay attention to the advice of the ungodly. Don't let the advice of the ungodly determine the way you think or the way you live your life. Who are the ungodly and what is their counsel? Well, the ungodly, the Bible teaches that the ungodly are people who don't wish to retain God in their knowledge, who literally suppress the knowledge of God in their hearts. 
These people ridicule the scriptures and say it is strictly a man-made book. You know, we are born with the knowledge of God in our hearts. We have to push that knowledge out if we don't want to know and love God. Romans 1 says that. I'd like for you to turn there, if you would, please. Turn to the first chapter of Romans. We're going to take up at verse 18. So man inherently has a knowledge of God in his heart until he suppresses that knowledge, until he pushes that away. You may remember the name Helen Keller. Uh, She was born blind and deaf. Not born blind and deaf, but by the time she was 19 months old, she got some kind of disease, I don't remember what it was, and it caused her to be blind and deaf. Well, as she grew and she had a wonderful nurse who lived with her and finally was able to communicate with her and teach her sign language and even in the palm of her hand, and one day when she told Helen that there was a living God, Helen said, I knew there had to be somebody like that. You see, because the Bible says that God gives us that knowledge, that it is inherently in us. Uh, Look at Romans 1, put in at verse 18, please. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools." And then jump down to verse 28. (coughs) Excuse me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. After reading that, those verses, why would you give, listen to any advice from any of these people? What do we hear today in the news, in books, in the newspapers from our society that is the advice or counsel of the ungodly? What are some of the things we hear? (laughs) He said everything. Well, thank God, not quite everything. But uh, I just wrote down a few that have come to mind. I read just yesterday that one in five adults in the United States has genital herpes, one in five. That's 20%. All because they did not listen to the counsel of a wiser adult or someone that sex outside of marriage is going to happen to you if you're promiscuous. Uh, Also, this is the counsel of the ungodly. A white lie is okay if it doesn't hurt anybody. Only religious fanatics say that 
profanity is bad. So if you say profanity is bad, you must be a religious fanatic, right? You know what the world calls you? A Bible-thumping fundamentalist. That's what they call you because you believe in the scriptures. I heard a person actually say this one time. Would you please quit all of that God talk? I've also heard this. Save the whales. Abort the babies. And I've heard this. It's not really a baby. It's just a fetus. I wonder how God feels about it when people call that little child in the womb a fetus. Read uh, the 139th Psalm. He said, when you were in the womb, I saw you. When you were yet unformed, I knew you. And yet Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in its end is the way of death. So the godly man, the godly woman, does not walk in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly. And then the, the, the second part of verse 1 says, nor stands in the path of sinners. Think about this. A disciple of Jesus Christ, which you are, does not hang out with people who love to sin. You know, it's one thing to show the love of Christ for sinners, to do a good deed, to act in kindness toward a sinner. But it's quite another thing to make sinners your bosom buddies. I personally think that everybody knows when they've crossed that line from doing something kind for a sinner to, doing, to hanging out with them. I read about a wonderful act of kindness that occurred not long ago, and I read this in the Santa Cruz Sentinel in the Dear Annie column. You ever read Dear Annie? Anyway, this was what I read not long ago, and this is a deed of kindness. Dear Annie, I lived on the streets of Los Angeles from 2001 to 2003. I won't go into the reasons why, but I didn't think I could go home. The ravages of homelessness took their toll on my eyeglasses pretty quickly. One of the earpieces was missing and the lens kept popping out. It was terribly demoralizing. People are less apt to give you opportunities to do better when you go beyond a certain point in your appearance. I was ready to give up. One day on an impulse, I stepped into an eyewear boutique on Melrose Avenue. It was a nice store, and I was bedraggled, so I expected to be immediately escorted out the door. That didn't happen. I asked the lady behind the counter, how much would it cost me to purchase one earpiece? I braced myself for a sarcastic comment, but instead she asked me to have a seat. She came back in about five minutes and said, try one of these on. Do they fit? And she handed me a brand new pair of frames. I stammered that I couldn't afford them, and she said, don't worry, sweetie, you don't owe me anything. I began to cry. She made a few adjustments and never flinched away from me in spite of my obvious need for a shower. She was kind enough to offer me a drink of cold water. She even hugged me before I left. I don't know the woman's name, and I can't remember the name of the shop, but for years I wanted to thank her for helping to restore my dignity and preserve my safety. She also reminded me that there are wonderful people in this world who don't judge you based on your appearance or your circumstances. I give her much credit for my getting off the streets because shortly after that I regained the courage to turn my life around. I am now a wife and a mother to a beautiful little boy. 
My family is speaking to me again, and I'm about to graduate from college. Ma'am, if you're reading this, God bless you. You must be an angel. Your kind gesture saved my life. I have been and will continue paying for it forward but with, to others in need, and you will be in my heart forever. By the way, I can see clearly now. Who does this story remind you of? Does it remind you of Jesus? You know, the Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. So as God's people, as his disciples, we are to do good for others. We're just not to hang out with people who want to make a practice of sin. We're to love the sinner, but not hang out with the sinner and follow his lifestyle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then in the the last part of verse 1, it says, The godly man or woman doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. What is a scornful person? Well, it's a person who mocks that which is good and righteous, makes light of that which is holy. The scornful person is often a blasphemer. They're not afraid to blaspheme God or to take his name in vain. Someone who speaks evil of Jesus Christ or uses his name as a curse word. It is amazing that a lot of people who say they don't believe in Jesus as Savior love to take his name in vain. It's just amazing to me. It hurts a godly person to hear anyone speak scornfully about his Savior. And, I, and the godly person will not use profanity. I'd like to tell you a personal story about that. A number of years ago, I was working over the hill for AT&T, and uh, I was a manager, and I was in a manager's meeting, so the manager's manager held this business meeting. Now, this manager's manager could cuss like a sailor, and he took God's name in vain about every other breath. Well, I said, Lord, I need to know what to do about this. Help me. And so not long after that, I passed by his office, and the door was open, so I walked in. I said, John, you mind if I come in? He said, come on in. Well, as I was sitting down praying about what to say, I noticed in his bookshelf was a Bible. I said, John, I noticed you have a Bible in your bookshelf. He said, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I said, oh, you do? I said, John, do you know, you know I'm a pastor, don't you? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you know when you take God's name in vain about every five seconds in the business meeting, it actually hurts me? I didn't realize I was going to say that, but God helped me. I said, it hurts me. It hurts. And John, I didn't know what he was going to do. I didn't know if he was going to cuss me out or throw me out or what. But instead, he said, I'm very, very sorry. So I apologize. You will never hear me say that word in your presence again. And then the next manager's meeting, by the way, he said, listen. He said, it's going to be different around here. There's no cussing anymore in this meeting from anybody. I don't want to hear any cussing. And I'm thankful to God I just didn't chew him out or something. That God gave me some humility. And I said, John, it hurts me when you do that. In Ephesians 4, it says, 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart peace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There's a sequel to the story about John. He's now a manager in the AT&T office in Watsonville. And recently his wife had a pretty bad bout with cancer and had to have major surgery, but she's a lot better now. And then recently John uh, had a heart attack and had to have a bypass, and they learned in the test that he has diabetes. Well, guess what? John is going to church now in Carmel Valley. So you just never know. I mean, you know, when you look at a person who's hard and his words say how bad he really is and so on, you just never know. God's in the business of saving sinners. And aren't you glad? So that's what this, the uh, godly man, the godly woman will not do. They will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They will not stand in the way of sinners. They won't sit in the seat of the scornful. But what does the person who loves God like to do? Well, our chapter tells us about that. Verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So the, the person who loves God loves the Bible. It is his companion for life. He knows that it will keep him from sin. He memorizes as much as he can. He remembers the verse that says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Job said when he was in all of his trouble, he said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And, you know, the Bible, the word of God, which the godly person treasures, lights our way in the darkness of this world. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord at a, who given, has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. When you, you know, the older you get, the harder time you have sleeping all night. I don't know if you're in that category yet. But uh, there's something wonderful about reading the Bible a lot. God speaks to you in the night seasons. You begin to think about some of the scriptures that you read that day. And then the man of God, the woman of God, takes to heart God's commandments about his word. Uh, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, when you th think about the passage I just read, God is saying that if you love me with all your heart, you're going to love my words as well. You can't love God and not love his words. So the blessed man loves God's word. I love what J. Vernon McGee said about the verses I read. He said, The delight of God's man is in the law of the Lord. 
In other words, he finds joy in the Word of God. I wish I could get this message over to folk that the Bible is a thrilling book. Get over to folk. That's what Jay Vernon, isn't it? That the Bible is a thrilling book. It's not a burden. It's not boring. It's a real delight to read and study the Word of God. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Today, the tragedy that has come to the man, the tear, the sigh, the groaning, the heartache, the heartbreak, the broken homes, the ruined and wrecked lives are the result of God's broken laws. The word of God makes it very clear. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. And then in verse 3, it tells us what the blessed man's life is really like. It says in verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know, when you think about this verse, this is a wonderful metaphor of what the person that God blesses, of what the person is like who God blesses. It gives us a picture of what a God-blessed life looks like. Think about a tree that's planted by rivers of water. The, first of all, the tree is never thirsty. Let the sun beat on the tree day after day. It doesn't bother the tree because the roots are down deep where the aquifers of water are that flow, and it flows across the roots of the tree. And it gives life-giving sap which flows from the roots to the branches and keeps the leaves green and the fruit growing in its season. What a vivid picture of a prosperous man blessed by God. This is the life God wants for everybody. If we do what God says, we will experience this kind of blessing. And just as the shepherd king of Israel said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. I personally sometimes am somewhat overwhelmed at the many statements Parables, psalms, proverbs, metaphors, examples in God's word of how much he wants for us. You think about that. He wants for us our happiness, our joy, not only in this life, but in the life to come. His great desire is for us to prosper, to be happy, to be happy now and forever. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In the last three verses of this psalm, we have the greatest contrast between the blessed man and the ungodly man. In verse 4, it says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The godly man is like a fruitful tree. The ungodly man is like the chaff. If you know much about history, you know that the ancient harvesters of long ago, before they had much equipment, would throw a crop like wheat into the air and the wind would blow the chaff in one direction, and the good wheat would fall to a pile, and they could be used. And God is saying here that the ungodly man is like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Do you remember when Jesus was on the earth? And he said this in Matthew 13. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that is cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. 
which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then finally in verse 6, it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You can't go anywhere that God doesn't know where you are. God knows you. He knows you like the back of his hand. Aren't you glad that God knows you even better than you know yourself? He knows what's best for us. You know, I'm going to ask us when we end the meeting tonight to break up in small groups and pray. And I want to give you a prayer request. You know, you've been praying for him, but I'm asking you to pray again. David is doing better. Uh, but he's lost a lot of weight. He's very weak. You know, he, he was unconscious, sedated for, I think it was 13 days, something like that. He didn't eat a bite for how many days, Ola? 22 days, something like that. He weighed 224 pounds when he went into the hospital. This morning when he weighed, when I went to see him, he weighed 192. That's 36 pounds, I think, if I added it right. So I'm going to ask you to pray for him. He is feeling better. When I went there, he was playing Scrabble with his daughter, Ashley. Little Titus, his grandson, was in the next room, and they were playing Scrabble. And, and I could tell that David is weak, but he's starting to walk a little bit now. It's going to take a while, but please pray for him that his healing will be complete. He said he doesn't recommend the Dominican diet to anybody. He said it's not a way to lose weight. So I'm glad his, his sense of humor seems to be coming back. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many mighty wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The Bible says the way of the ungodly shall perish. The day is coming when God's people will be forever separated from everyone and everything that is ungodly. Think about that. Think about the day is coming when everybody you see, everybody you talk to will love God. Everybody. You will not be able to find one ungodly person in heaven. So whether you talk to an angel or Uncle Joe or Aunt Sis, they're going to love God. He said that sinners will not stand among the righteous. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats. Every person that we see will love God. In Revelation 21, and we're going to end with this passage, beginning first of all at verse 10, it says, He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. 
Its gates, gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there is no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if you love God tonight, you've got a wonderful future. You have a great present because God says you're blessed. He's the blessor and you're the blessee, and he wants you to be blessed. And that's what this psalm has taught us tonight. Let's pray together. And after I close in prayer, well, maybe I think I'll do it differently. Yes. Amen. This brother just said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's right. Uh, I think I, I got ahead of myself. I'd like for us to break up in small groups. And whatever you have on your heart to pray for, just ask your partner, whoever you are, sacred groups of two or three or four, whatever you'd like to do. Let's spend some time in prayer, and then we'll close with a worship song in a few minutes.